Burlington's really on the leading edge in the country in this regard. I think uh, the plan has been recognized as the first U.S. 2030 net zero plan. And uh, the goal is a very ambitious climate goal, uh, even more ambitious than the Vermont state goals. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Vermont has committed to cutting its greenhouse gas emissions 40% from 1990 levels by 2030 and to meeting 90% of its energy needs with renewable sources by 2050. Are these energy goals a pipe dream, just something to hope for, or are they within reach? The answer depends on where you live. The city of Burlington announced in 2014 that it was getting all of its power from renewable generation. This December, Burlington residents will vote on an energy bond that is aimed at making Burlington the first city in the country to be net zero in energy use. To get a snapshot of where Vermont is now on its green energy quest, I talked with Darren Springer, general manager of Burlington Electric Department, and Peter Sterling, executive director of Renewable Energy of Vermont. I asked Darren Springer to begin by explaining how Burlington has come to have its own power company that's leading its renewable energy charge. We started in 1905, uh, so we're well over 100 years old. Uh, Municipal utility, so we're we're public power. Um, We are essentially a department of the city of Burlington. We are uniquely uh, regulated at the local level and the state level. Uh, There's only, I think, maybe six states in the country where that would be the case. Uh, In most states, municipal utilities would be regulated exclusively at the local level. Um, But we have both uh, State Public Utility Commission and uh, Burlington uh, regulation. And we've got 118 employees, and that's not only here at our offices at uh, Pine Street, but also at our renewable energy plants like the McNeil uh, wood chip plant. And uh, we have the unique distinction of being the first city in the nation to source 100% of our power from renewable generation in 2014. And uh, public power uh, really has a a strong history around the country. Uh, There were communities that said, hey, we're not satisfied with the the service we were getting. And this was back again in 1905 and and earlier, uh, the service that they were getting uh, from the private sector at that time and decided to launch a public utility. And I think what we've seen um, in Burlington, really, when you talk about energy efficiency efforts in the 80s and 90s, and renewable energy efforts more recently, and then now our our net zero energy efforts, uh, having a public power utility uh, can be helpful in terms of, you know, it's an expression of the community's values. And as Burlington is a very much environmentally conscious community, Uh, the utility has uh, grown to reflect that in terms of the decisions that are made. So I think public power has a rich history um, in Vermont, in Burlington, and in the country, and uh, should continue to play an important role. So let's uh, go back to that, uh, the fact that in 2014, uh, Burlington Electric goes all renewable. So tell us, where does, where do you get your power from? So in terms of our generation, uh, I mentioned earlier, the McNeil uh, wood chip plant is actually now the biggest energy producer in the state of Vermont uh, since Vermont Yankee closed in 2013. And we co-own that facility uh, with Green Mountain Power and Vermont Public Power Supply Authority. Uh, We get about 50% of the output. So that's roughly a third or a little more than a third of the electricity that we get 
Um, we also have hydropower, uh, both uh, hydro that we own and operate, like the Winooski One uh, hydropower facility. Uh, we have other Vermont hydropower, and then we do get some hydropower from out of state, uh, from Quebec and New York. And then we have contracts with three different wind turbine uh, projects, uh, two in Vermont and one in Maine. And then we have a, a small but growing slice of our energy uh, comes from solar projects that are located uh, in the city of Burlington as well. Hmm. With the wood chip heating uh, or the wood chip electricity, uh, explain how that works, where you get the wood from, and how I know there's a lot of debate about whether burning wood, you know, the environmental impact of that. So what is your take on that? Yeah, so with the McNeil plant, roughly a 60-mile radius uh, from the plant is where we source uh, most of the wood chips. So upstate New York and uh, usually around eight counties in Vermont. And what we do is we purchase the wood uh, residue from higher value forestry operations. So if somebody is going onto a site and they're doing uh, logging for higher value, like furniture, for example, there's gonna be a leftover harvest that doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of economic value. Uh, and we're able to come in and procure the wood chips, provide a value to the landowner so that they can keep the land as working lands uh, and, and not have it be uh, developed, for example. And um, we're able to use those wood chips uh, to supply electricity uh, in terms of kind of the carbon accounting for biomass, one of the more complex issues in renewable energy, what we've got in terms of sustainability is we have four foresters who work uh, exclusively uh, with us at McNeil on, on managing the procurement, uh, making sure that we're working with uh, sustainable site harvests, that we're working with landowners that have a forest management plan. And in some cases, we have sites that we were harvesting 30 years ago, and they've, they've been able to regrow, and we're able to return. And that kind of speaks to the carbon cycle with biomass. The idea is uh, there is a benefit as you're sequestering carbon, as you're regrowing trees, as you're keeping lands as working lands. There's a carbon benefit there that can be accounted for, and there can be a, a life cycle approach to biomass. It's a little different than... Uh, solar or wind, for example, that are a little more straightforward. Hmm. Um, let's go to the issue of Burlington. Uh, in 2019, the Burlington City Council approved a plan committing the city to becoming a net zero energy city, which, uh, as I understand it, it's the first city in the country to do that. What does that mean? Yeah, and this, this is exciting work uh, that's happening here in Burlington and at Burlington Electric. Um, we commissioned this roadmap, um, this net zero energy roadmap that really looked at, okay, if we're 100% renewable in electricity, uh, how do we make additional progress on climate? And we really looked at the biggest sources of emissions being the thermal sector, which is heating, for example, and then ground transportation. And the roadmap says, here are the different pathways for how you can reduce and eventually eliminate uh, fossil fuel use in those key sectors. Uh, so not only are we wanting to be 100% renewable for electricity, we wanna use that 100% renewable electricity to help reduce fossil fuel use in these other sectors uh, through things like cold climate heat pumps, electric vehicles and electric buses uh, and other technologies that help to reduce emissions. And uh, Burlington's really on the leading edge in the country in this regard. I think uh, the plan has been recognized as the first U.S. 2030 net zero plan. 
And uh, the goal is a very ambitious climate goal, uh, even more ambitious than the Vermont state goals. How so? Explain the difference between the state and local goals there. Well, with the state goals, and there are different ones, they tend to focus on some interim goals, but the ultimate goal being in 2050, uh, trying to achieve a significant a renewable energy penetration and emissions reduction by 2050. Um, our goal is a 2030 goal, which means that we have to scale up uh, incredibly fast. We have to make progress at an even more rapid rate uh, to approach the 2030 goal. And uh, it really focuses our efforts on not only trying to be innovative, but trying to reach scale uh, in, a, in a major way in the city of Burlington. And we hear this term net zero, but can you just define that for us? What does that mean? Sure, sure. Um, for us, it really means uh, sourcing 100% of our energy from renewable sources, not only for electricity, but also for those other sectors, for thermal and for ground transportation. And so that not only includes the technologies I mentioned, like heat pumps and electric vehicles, it may include uh, renewable fuels. Um, we may be able to have uh, different renewable fuel sources, like, uh, for example, district energy, uh, where we are able to maybe capture uh, energy from the McNeil plant and use it to help with heating uh, for buildings around the city. Uh, renewable fuels uh, that may be able to help in, in homes and businesses. So it's really a, a full approach. It's not saying we're going to only focus on one specific technology. We're taking an all-in approach to try to reach a reduction and eventual elimination of fossil fuel use in those sectors. So transportation, as you mentioned, is one of the biggest sectors contributing to greenhouse gas emissions in Vermont. What do you do about that? Um, people are driving their, their gas cars. Um, how do you change that? Yeah, so I, I'm very optimistic about the technologies that we have in the transportation sector. Um, Electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid vehicles, we're, we're doing more and more rebates uh, and incentives with our customers to help them access those technologies. And we're also doing things in terms of making it cheaper to drive with an electric vehicle than it is to drive with a gasoline vehicle. Uh, you know, real world example, um, if you have an electric vehicle in Burlington and you install a charger at your house, you can charge for the equivalent of 60 cents a gallon of gas. Uh, which is an incredible deal when you consider that that's coming from renewable electricity and the price of gasoline at the pump is well over $3 a gallon right now. So the challenge is how do we get more customers into these vehicles? And part of it is uh, incentives from the utility, from the state and federal government. Part of it is making sure people are familiar with the technology and how it works. It's new. Uh, so we host ride and drive events for our customers. We also have partnerships with CarShare Vermont, for example. Uh, because not everybody is going to own a vehicle. Not everybody uh, wants to own a vehicle. So we want to make sure that this is accessible to more Burlingtonians. And we've helped CarShare um, purchase electric vehicles for their fleet and locate them at, at locations around the city and provide charging for them. Um, and it's not just vehicles. It's electric bikes. We have a rebate program for that with local bike shops. And it's electric transit buses. Uh, we help bring the first two electric transit buses to the Green Mountain Transit fleet back in 2020 uh, with an incentive program so that uh, for folks who are riding the bus, uh, that's now uh, electric in a few cases in Burlington, and we're hoping to see more of that as well. Something we don't think about uh, until it crashes is the grid. And with all this talk of more, you know, things running on electricity, um, 
we saw last year the state of Texas go dark because its grid couldn't handle it. Now, we are not Texas, thank goodness, on many fronts. But um, can our aging infrastructure handle the increased uh, electricity demands? Yes. And, and in Burlington, um, we actually have some room in terms of capacity on our grid to add more of these uses. And we have proposed um, a fairly groundbreaking uh, revenue bond, a net zero energy revenue bond to make further investments. Um, in Burlington, the average customer sees about one outage per year and typical duration is, is less than an hour. Um, we've done a lot of work to underground sections of our system so that the weather doesn't impact in the same way. And we're fortunate to have a relatively compact service territory. Uh, so when there is an outage, we're able to isolate it and help uh, get customers back online fairly quickly. Um, but the truth is there's a lot of uh, benefits in terms of moving towards uh, electricity for these different uses. Um, and we have resiliency options, uh, battery storage, for example, and, and other technologies that can help make the grid even more resilient uh, than it is today. But I think that we actually can move uh, very much effectively towards more usage um, and that we have room on the grid in Burlington to add more electric vehicles and more cold climate heat pumps, uh, do so in a way that's economically beneficial for our customers as well. So you mentioned this $20 million bond that will go to a vote in December. Um, that's correct. And, you know, what are the going to be the immediate results of that? That What are you going to be able to do with that? Well, I mentioned earlier that our goal is, is very ambitious and we need to continually make uh, additional progress. And we just did an update on our trajectory for net zero. Uh, for uh, 2021, we looked back at 2019 and 2020 data and we found that we're actually on track. Uh, emissions in Burlington are down over 15% between 2018 and 2020. Although some of that is certainly due to the pandemic. We saw reduced driving, for example. Um, so we want to scale up. What the revenue bond would do is invest in the grid, uh, just like we were talking about, for better reliability and more capacity uh, to add electric uses. We would invest in our technology systems, our customer information systems and uh, meter systems, so we can really do more to help our customers with uh, beneficial rates, for example, uh, cheaper rates uh, for using different electric technologies. Uh, we would invest in our uh, infrastructure, uh, more EV charging stations, for example. And we would double our funding uh, for customer incentives over the next three years uh, as we try to help more and more customers um, access these technologies. You know, just in the last couple of years, while we've launched these dozens of incentive programs, uh, we've had 1,400 uh, customers take advantage of them. And we also offer enhanced rebates for our low and moderate income customers. And increasingly, we're seeing more low and moderate income customers uh, access these rebates as well. So what we would do is double the funding and we would uh, project that we can get an additional 47,000 tons of emissions reduction uh, through these measures that will incentivize over the next three years. Um, and that's equivalent to 100,000 barrels of oil that uh, wouldn't be burned uh, if we're successful in that effort. All right, well, Darren Springer, I wanna thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much, David. Darren Springer is General Manager of Burlington Electric Department. We turn now to Peter Sterling, Interim Executive Director of Renewable Energy Vermont, an association of Vermont's clean energy businesses. 
Rev has just held its annual conference, which brings together leaders to discuss energy and climate issues. I asked Sterling what he found promising in what he's hearing from leaders in this field. One of the most promising things that I'm hearing is it's time to take action now that more and more people are getting that the climate crisis isn't coming. It's upon us after the summer we've had, after the headlines around the country. The fact that in Franklin County, there were record droughts, but down in Wyndham County, they had floods, the likes of which they haven't seen since Irene. The predictions about the impacts of climate change are coming true here in Vermont. And there's a wide and wider and wider perception that something needs to be done about that, which means we need to transition away from a, a, an economy based on fossil fuel use. So for our REV members, who are the folks who make and install and develop solar panels and wind turbines and um, products like that, this is a real opportunity to um, move forward on more renewables in Vermont and get us off a of fossil fuel uh, economy. Where do you see Vermont making progress in this transition and where is it lagging? Um, the two biggest areas for progress in Vermont, where I mean, where the most fossil fuels are burned are in the transportation and the thermal, which means when we heat and cool our homes, those two sectors. That's Those two account for about 75% of all fossil fuel use here in Vermont. Where we get our electricity from is relatively clean. We There is some greenhouse gas emissions um, from agriculture section, section, sector, but really the places we need, what we need to do is get more people out of cars, more electric vehicles on the road, stop burning less oil and natural gas to heat and cool our homes and, and switch that to clean, cleaner electricity, which largely comes from renewable sources like hydro, solar, and wind. What is going on now with the ability to get permitting for solar facilities? I mean, wind has basically, there is no new wind development in Vermont, if I'm not mistaken. We seem to have hit a wall here on permitting, particularly of larger solar projects. Um, you're exactly right. I'd say that's one of the biggest barriers we have in Vermont to really having a renewable energy future is how long and expensive and costly the price is to get a project cited, largely because of, I hate to use an acronym, but NIMBYism, the not in my backyard syndrome. There's, in many cases, there are just a few wealthy Vermonters who don't want to see solar panels outside their backyard and they can hire lawyers and delay a process. And in one case, uh, I'm not going to say where, but well, I'll say it's in Bradford, Vermont. There was a solar project that was had a, most all its approval permits. Uh, it got delayed and it got eventually got rejected by the Public Utilities Commission, who's responsible for citing these. And you know, it went up in that field that was in a strip mall where the solar panels were not allowed to go because of a PUC ruling, a Dollar General store. So somehow a Dollar General store was allowed to be built in this mall strip mall, but we couldn't put solar panels up there. To me, that's a sign that something is truly broken with our siting process. And what is broken? I mean, wh where is the, and of course, the other thing uh, uh, Bill McKibben just wrote uh, in the last week or so about a big project in Manchester, uh, a solar installation that got torpedoed there by, um, you know, in terms of permitting from the Public Utilities Commission. What's the solution to this? It seems like we have kind of hit this uh, saturation point that we can't get past. 
What we need are some very clear, clear guidelines for our Public Utilities Commission that they must take into account the impact of a project on decreasing Vermont's contribution to climate change and global and greenhouse gases. And right now, that specific criteria doesn't exist. So when the Public Utilities Commission's members are evaluating projects, they look at things like aesthetics. Well, you know, to allow neighbors who don't even have a sight line on a project to appeal a project because they don't like aesthetics. They don't want to, in other words, they don't want to have to drive by the solar panels, which was the case that you just mentioned that Bill McKibben was writing about. You know, if we're going to be talking in Vermont about not even wanting to drive by solar panels because we don't like how they look, well, we'll never really stop climate change. So we really have to change change our whole view of what we uh, on clean energy and the, the accountability we have for when we want to turn on a light switch and get power. Those are the kind of changes we need to make, both the way we look at renewables and the way um, they're regulated. So Vermont has energy goals uh, that, you know, one is having 90% of Vermont's overall energy needs come from renewable sources by 2050. Uh, the other that's closer, you know, in is reducing Vermont's greenhouse gas emissions by half from uh, what it was in 1990. And that's supposed to happen by 2028. How are we doing? Is Are we likely to hit any either of those targets at the rate we're going now? We are on track um, for the 90% renewable by 2050. That's doable. We have a large amount of hydro. And if you count nuclear as renewable, we can, even though that should be phasing out, we can do that. Where we're really falling behind is the greenhouse gas emissions. That target you referenced, um, according to the Global Warming Solutions Act, which was, which was um, married to the, uh, Vermont meeting the Paris Accords. So when Governor, when President Trump pulled out of the Paris Accords, the only industrialized country to do so, Vermont passed its own law to make sure we met those accords. And those greenhouse gas reductions, we're not on track to meeting that. And we will have to do more, like I said earlier, to get Vermonters out of cars, encourage them to carpool, encourage them to telecommute, encourage and subsidize the purchasing of of electric vehicles for not only for private use, but for commercial use, like for trucks and for buses and things like that. You've been uh, expressing concern about a deal at Global Foundries related to where they're getting their energy. Um, can you just give us the short version of what the uh, controversy is there? Sure. And it relates to your previous question about how whether we can meet our targets to reduce greenhouse gases. Global Foundries is the old IBM facility up in Essex, Vermont. They um, use about 8% of the state's electricity. So they use as much electricity as the city of Burlington. So they are quite significant user of electricity. They are signing a deal with the Scott administration to allow them to not have to meet greenhouse gas requirements. And they are appealing to the PUC to become their own electric utility, which would allow, which would allow them to get out of all purchasing requirements for new renewable energy that every other utility has to abide by. So the upshot is this international corporation with $6 billion in revenue is trying to get out of greenhouse gas reduction requirements, renewable energy purchasing requirements, and it's going to mean that every other Vermont business, every other Vermont homeowner, every other Vermont utility and rate payer in those utilities are going to have to work harder, pay more in order to stop climate change in Vermont. I want to kind of broaden the lens to what uh, consumers and people heating their homes as we're heading into heating season. Um, 
there has been kind of a shift in the zeitgeist. I remember when I moved into my home 30 years ago, the main task for anybody who was energy or climate conscious is get rid of all the electric heat. Uh, you want renewable heat sources of any kind. And now we are being told exactly the opposite. Electric heat is the answer. Um, heat pumps, things like that. Um, can you explain for people who have a little bit of whiplash right now, why is there this push towards electrification? Great question. So first of all, I mean, I hate to date myself, but I guess, uh, you know, me and you are over 50 now. So I guess we're going to do that anyway. Here, David. Uh, yeah. So when we when a lot of us growing up and when we bought our houses, we had those electric baseball baseboard heaters. Right. The things yes. you always ran into and you always kicked them when yes. you're running around your house. Right. And the, the covers fell off and you're always worried your kids were going to stick something in them. And, you know, those are super, super inefficient. I mean, they just use tons and tons of juice. I think any one of us who rented with one of those electric baseboard heat jobs. I mean, we probably remember multiple hundred dollar electric bills or just freezing when wearing sweaters, sitting watching TV in a sleeping bag because those things were just not efficient. So those are not the kind of heating systems anyone's talking about. You've referenced what's called a, a cold weather heat pump. Those are run on electricity, but are super, super efficient in the way they heat compared to how much electricity you use. Also, when we were using all that electricity back in the 90s and, and the early 2000s and even into the into the 2010s where our electricity came from was a lot dirtier we were using we were getting vermont was getting their electricity from a lot of coal and oil and renewables really weren't online we didn't start to get a really clean and an electric um source of source of electricity until after 2015 when we pass some laws here in Vermont. So now we have such a cleaner um, way we get electricity with so much less fossil fuel pollution that it really does pay if, to, to, to start heating from, with electricity if you're using efficient technology like these cold weather heat pumps. All right, well, Peter Sterling, uh, stay warm and thanks for joining us <laughs> on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much. That does it for this Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all programs at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.